While the Trudeau government brings in a record number of immigrants, the Conservatives continue to refuse to offer alternative immigration targets. An EV battery plant that received $15 billion in government handouts received a number of temporary workers from South Korea instead of hiring Canadians. Environment Minister Stephen Gilbo plans to challenge the federal court's decision regarding Ottawa's ban on single-use plastics. Hello Canada, it's Tuesday, November 21st, and this is True North's Daily Brief. I'm Cosman Georgia. And I'm Noah Jarvis. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. It's been over two weeks since Federal Immigration Minister Mark Miller revealed the Liberals' updated mass immigration targets, and Conservative leader Pierre Polyev still hasn't offered up his own potential figures to Canadians. As announced earlier this month, the Trudeau government will be accepting 485,000 permanent residents in 2024, 500,000 in 2025, and another 500,000 in 2026. True North asked Conservative leader Pierre Polyev's office for his reaction to the 2024-2026 figures. His spokesperson responded by pointing to something Polyev said in a previous radio interview. He said at the time, quote, Justin Trudeau has totally delinked the numbers from available housing, healthcare, and jobs. When I'm Prime Minister, I will bring in a common-sense formula that links the number of immigrants to the number of homes, jobs, and healthcare services that are available. However, when asked if the formula could theoretically lead to a reduction from current targets, Poilyev's office didn't respond. According to a poll commissioned by Bloomberg News, 68% of Canadians believe Trudeau's immigration targets negatively impact the housing market. Let me begin just by diving into these immigration numbers a bit more because the official targets presented by the Liberal government don't necessarily show the entire picture and the situation we are in currently. I think a lot of people will be startled to learn how many newcomers Canada is expecting each year. As mentioned, official estimates predict that Canada is set to receive nearly 530,000 new permanent residents this year. This was according to their estimates. On top of that figure, the Liberal government is on target to let in 900,000 international students in 2023. And let's not forget that we are also set to see more than 135,000 temporary foreign workers come in as well. Now, like, what does that add up to? It's about 1.56 million newcomers this year alone, give or take. That's 1.56 million people who are going to need shelter. They're going to need health care. So who is the federal government fooling here? Like the the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation said recently that we're on track to build, I think, 2 million new houses by 2030. But we're talking about like 10 million people by the end of the decade potentially coming to Canada as permanent residents, students and temporary workers. So the math clearly doesn't add up. And let's back up to the article at hand here and what the conservatives are saying. Whatever formula they're going to come up with, if it's grounded in reality, it's going to require a reduction in these numbers. Like, I don't see it any other way. 
So where where's the reluctance coming from on the part of Pavlyev? If he's about common sense, the most sensible thing is cutting the numbers to a more substantial level. Right, Cosman. I think that Polyev's uh, political strategy here is to not tell the Canadian public what exactly he's going to do in an effort to gain the votes of uh, immigrants and also of people who are skeptical of the immigration system. But I think it's quite cynical to not tell the Canadian people what his plan will be. I think it's pretty clear that Canada's immigration targets are far too high, that we are just bringing in enough people. And, we, and as you said, we don't have pl uh, places, we don't have homes to house these people. So it should be a pretty clear message from Polyev that, yes, Canada's immigration targets need to come down because, as you mentioned, we don't have enough uh, places to house these people. Our social services are already strained as it is. And quite frankly, we aren't bringing, aren't exactly bringing in the type of people that uh, respect Canadian values, as our colleague Harrison Faulkner uh, mentioned on Ratioed a couple weeks ago. Uh, some of the people that we are bringing in actually resent Canadian values and are uh, anti-Canadian, as seen by the mass demonstrations for foreign conflicts. We see, uh, you know, pro-Kalistani uh, demonstrations or pro Hamas demonstrations in our streets. So uh, we should be very, uh, we should be picky with the type of people that we bring in, the pe type of people that will actually improve our economic well-being and won't put a strain on our social services and on the housing market. So here's the thing, Noah, when you have massive levels of immigration like we do right now without consulting the people most affected, the general population who have to deal with, you know, population density in major cities, competition in housing, rent, uh, employment, and not to mention the healthcare accessibility. Like all of this combined, you're eventually going to see a reaction in the form of failing support for immigration. Mass immigration is the best way to turn a population against the idea of supporting immigration. I can't think of a better way to lose a mandate on this. Yet we have essentially every single viable federal party in this country following down the exact same path that has led to innumerable issues in Europe, in the United Kingdom, and in the United States. It's chaos over there. Canada, I think, is in a little bit of a better situation. But if we if we don't change course, it's going to it's going to we're going to get there. And it's so out of touch. And we are already seeing public opinion turn. We have all these people in the legacy media and in government who make it seem as though any reduction in immigration targets, even a temporary one, will be like a nuclear holocaust for the economy. Like, have they ever tried? I mean, give me a break. They championed halting children's education. They paused the entire economy due to an overblown virus. But no, we can't We can't slightly alter the immigration targets because everything is going to collapse. It's ridiculous to say such a thing. So sometimes I think like these temporary pains, like a, a, a temporary reduction in immigration targets are, are necessary for the long-term viability and stability of a country. Yet there's very few people, I think we are among those people, out there saying we need to step back and reevaluate this because otherwise we're going to risk running into and breaking one of the most foundational things, I think, in any country, and that's the trust of the people. 
You're right, Cosman. And the reason why, in my view, the left is so committed to immigration is because they view uh, immigration, mass immigration, as a moral imperative that we need to bring in uh, all the world's peoples who uh, are dealing, uh, are trying to flee conflict or even just uh, flee from their countries in which it is economically destitute. And, you know, reductions in immigration targets are seen as, you know, racist and bigoted because we want to stop the flow of people from or stop the flow of foreigners from, you know, Asia or Africa or wherever uh, Canadian immigrants are come from. And, you know, it to, uh, to me, at least, it doesn't really matter where the immigrants are coming from. It, 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 I couldn't care less. What really matters to me is if the immigrants are uh, if we're bringing in too many immigrants and if the Im- the immigrants that we are bringing in uh, are able to assimilate uh, but you know they believe that any reductions in immigration targets is just the perpetuation of the great replacement theory or some un- other phony left-wing projection on the right that the left likes to make but at the end of the day it's a matter of uh, sustainability of as you said the immigration system and our economic future Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. The new Stellantis electric vehicle battery manufacturing plant in Windsor received a number of temporary workers from South Korea recently, and news of their arrival is leaving some in disbelief over whether or not the new plant, which received billions in taxpayer subsidies, will end up creating jobs for Canadians. The joint project between LG Energy Solutions and Stellantis received $15 billion in subsidies from both the federal and provincial governments to manufacture hundreds of thousands of batteries over the next decade. The subsidies were designed to maintain thousands of jobs in the auto sector and to compete with the United States' Inflation Reduction Act. Once temporary foreign workers from South Korea began arriving in Windsor, however, many began to question the validity of that promise. On Thursday, South Korean Ambassador Lim Woo Song and the Windsor Police Service held a meeting to celebrate the, quote, South Korean workforce coming to our community. A spokesperson for the Federal Minister of Employment said that the new Stellantis project would in fact create, quote, sustainable jobs for Canadians, insisting that the overall number of international positions wouldn't be that many. Meanwhile, the Conservative Party has demanded that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to release the contracts his government made with Stellantis and LG Energy Solutions. So, Cosman, it seems like this battery plant that is being supported by both the federal government and the Ontario government uh, is employing foreign workers from South Korea and not actually generating jobs for Canadians. Is this something that we should be surprised with? And, you know, just in general, what response should Canadians have uh, to the government uh, allowing uh, temporary foreign workers to be uh, employed here? No, I don't think it's surprising to say the least. First of all, Stellantis is a uh, multinational company. And, and its headquarters are in the Netherlands, I believe. And here they are set to import, what, 1,600 workers from South Korea into Canada? 
in order to do jobs that I'm sure a lot of Canadians would be more than happy to take on. When, when they first announced this, I remember, I remember the lie that was told to Canadians was that it would create 2,500 Canadian jobs. Yet here we have over half of those numbers going to the citizens of another country. Are they serious? Like, so, so the battery plant is claiming that they don't have the sufficient domestic labor. But my main question would be, like, what are they basing that on? I, I seriously doubt that claim. Mind you, Ontario has so many skilled tech workers. There, There's tech hubs in Kitchener-Waterloo. You know, there, Toronto's there, the GTA. And universities across the province are pumping out young people into these fields. Every single year, there's new graduates. And they would be very relevant applicants to these jobs. Yet they can't find 2,500 people to work by next year. I, I just find that very hard to believe. Two top liberal ministers announced their intention to challenge the federal court's decision regarding Ottawa's ban on single-use plastics. Environment and Justice Ministers Stephen Gilbeau and Arif Virani's joint statement released on Monday refused to concede defeat in the face of the federal court's ruling last week. The federal court found that the liberal government's ban on single-use plastics was a, quote, unreasonable and unconstitutional policy. The ruling determined that the government exceeded its jurisdictional powers and that the categorization of plastics as toxic substances in Schedule 1 under environmental legislation was too broad of a classification. Gilbo and Virani wrote, quote, Our government intends to appeal the federal court's decision. We are exploring all options to continue leading the fight against plastic pollution. Gilbo and Verani also claimed in their joint statement that the previous plastics ban has already led to significant reductions in plastic pollution. The original aim was to fully ban their sale and export by the end of 2025. I don't think Canada has had a more reckless and ideologically deranged minister in government than Stephen Gilbo. This guy sings his own praise this was recent, as a proud socialist in the House of Commons, as if that ideology hasn't led to the deaths of tens of millions of people worldwide. To be frank, he, he kind of gives me the creeps sometimes, Noah. He, he's a green socialist zealot through and through, the type who would be happy to institute programs of central planning on the masses just so he can shave off a few decimals from Canada's carbon emissions. I question the judgment of our government. When they put somebody this ideologically compromised into cabinet, and you can see it with his absolute refusal to accept a defeat or accept an L, as the kids would say these days, and now he's refusing to accept the single-use plastic ban, but a month ago... If you recall, he was trying to play off the Supreme Court's shutdown of the No More Pipelines Act, also known officially as the Impact Assessment Act, as a win somehow for his government, despite the fact that it was found to have violated provincial constitutionally protected jurisdiction. What is with this guy? It's, it's like he's living in La La Land. Like, why can't he just accept that he's overplayed his hand here? 
Well, I believe it's because Gibo is an ideological zealot. He's committed to climate fanaticism and anything that gets in his way, uh, well, he won't accept. Uh, that is why uh, he, he had to spin the unconstitutionality of the No More Pipelines Act as, you know, somehow as a win or, oh, no, we're able to, you know, still enforce the No Pipelines Act despite the uh, Supreme Court ruling that uh, it was unconstitutional. And right now, the uh, federal court that did call the liberal uh, ban on single-use plastics uh, unreasonable and unconstitutional, uh, of course, they're going to challenge it because, you know, Gibo is uh, deeply ideologically committed to uh, this plastics ban that, quite frankly, just makes life so much more inconvenient for can uh, everyday Canadians when, like, you go to a Walmart, uh, you know, and you don't remember to bring your own bags. You have to pay uh, an, abs an absurd amount for, you know, one of those paper or whatever um, alternative material bags are. And you go to a Tim Hortons after, you know, your shopping, uh, your shopping trip at Walmart and you get an ice cap. And midway through your ice cap, you know, the, the straw disintegrates, uh, it breaks in half because it's a paper straw. And, you know, who knew, but paper isn't exactly a, a, a material conducive uh, to handling liquids, right? So it is just all ide ideological garbledygook from the liberal, liberal government. And Stephen Guibault is the leader of this ideological push for uh, climate fanaticism. That's it for today, folks. Don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. Plus, The Andrew Lawton Show will be live at 1 p.m. Eastern Time today. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to share our work with your friends and neighbors. And if able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. <laughs> <laughs>